What is going on, everybody? You are listening to Markets Made Simple with Afik Tori. It's been about a month ever since Silicon Valley banks collapsed. We've seen many more troubling market events, such as Credit Suisse getting acquired by UBS, additional dramas from First Republican Bank, Signature Bank is also showing some troubles, and many, many more. And there has been a lot of talk about something called a liquidity crisis or a banking liquidity crisis, to be more specific. We're going to talk a little bit about this. There are many, many opinions around whether this presents a bullish case or a bearish case on financial markets. I'm not going to take a position on whether I think this is a bullish or bearish case on the market. I'm simply going to present both sides, a lot of opinions of what I've been hearing on social media. So let's get into it right now. So it is no secret that obviously the banking industry or the banking sector is indeed in trouble. If it weren't in trouble, the Federal Reserve wouldn't need to establish a special program to allow banks to borrow money from the Federal Reserve while posting bonds as collateral. They wouldn't present or they wouldn't facilitate this sort of emergency program or facility in order for banks to maintain liquidity and for obvious consequences not to come forth. But we still need to understand and what exactly happened with banks as a consequence of all of these fragilities that came up. So first and foremost, and probably the most important thing that happened ever since multiple banks around the world at this point have been showing fragilities and this crisis has become international in many, many ways, is that deposits have run out of banks and entered what's called money market funds. Now, before I get into money market funds, because this is a chapter all on its own, money market funds are very, very different than money market accounts. So don't get the two confused. I'm not going to talk about money market accounts. I'm going to talk about money market funds. What money market funds are is a mutual fund, which is a product available for institutional and retail investors. And the main goal of these money market funds is to present an investor with an opportunity to invest in relatively low risk securities, such as bonds. Now, these can be either corporate bonds, it can be treasuries, it can also be securities involved in the repo market, which I'm not going to get into right now. If there's enough demand, if you want, you can private message me. I'll be more than happy to get way into it with you. These are very interesting markets, but I'm not going to explain that right now. But these are essentially considered very low risk investments. Now, why is this important? Why has a lot of money been exiting the banking sector and going into money market funds? Essentially, what is the difference between having your money in a savings account at the bank or a money market fund? The difference is that your money is going to be insured by the FDIC in the United States, at least in a savings account. It's not going to be insured if you invested in a money market market fund, even if it's low risk, even if it's low returns, you're not going to be insured if you deposit money in a money market fund. Since last month, investors have been faced with a dilemma as such. Why would I leave my money in a bank if banks are failing? In addition to that, why would I keep my money in a savings account when I can make much more money on deciding to put my money within a money market fund? The only attraction of keeping my money within a savings account is the security. But since banks began failing all around the world, that competitive advantage that banks had to offer by providing depositors with a savings account and its associated safety all of a sudden vanished when contagion risks became more of a concern after Silicon Valley banks collapsed. In a money market fund, at least I have exposure to markets which can 
then give me a return that is correlated with the Federal Reserve interest rate, which is well over 4% right now. Savings accounts have not caught up and have not been competitive enough to fight the money market fund niche and its competitive advantage over savings account currently as we see. Now, before I get a little bit deeper into that conundrum, I want to just differentiate that whenever I say banks, I'm not talking about the JP Morgans or the Wells Fargo's of the world. I'm talking about small to mid-sized banks on the level of Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, etc. Because big banks like JP Morgan and Wells Fargo have and host money market funds. So if money's going from banks into money market funds, if we see a large inflow, then we cannot assume that big banks have been on the other side of that outflow. So we're talking about small to medium-sized banks. So investors or depositors, confidence in the banking sector has reduced dramatically. And we've seen a lot of inflows into money market funds. Why is that very, very bad for small to mid-sized banks? Well, we've discussed before, and it's very clear that if banks have less deposits, their business cannot run as well, right? Because deposits are like the lifeblood of the bank's business model. They need deposits to come into the bank and stay in the bank so that they can go ahead and turn around and invest that money in order to make money for themselves. So if deposits are going down at a bank, exiting a bank, or not continuing to come into the bank, that's very, very bad for the bank. And that's going to affect the bank's decisions on how they're going to lend money, how they're going to invest money, and frankly, if they're going to survive. Now, this brings me on to the bearish case of why people think this will affect markets in general very, very badly. If banks are not well capitalized, or if banks do not have enough cash to lend around, then what's going to happen? Banks are not going to lend money as they were before. Banks are going to be reluctant to lend money, which means less money for car loans, less money for mortgages, less money for all purpose loans, etc. What is that going to do? It's going to hit the economy. And if the economy is hit, then stocks will suffer as well. Because let's say, for example, you're Apple. If there's less money in the economy and less money is being lent out, then consumers or purchasers of iPhones or any other item for that matter is going to suffer in terms of sales because there's less credit in the system, less money in the system, etc. Jobs will also suffer as a consequence of this. Because if banks are reluctant to lend, then investments are going to go down by companies. So this might affect the employment arena in the United States. So this isn't good. If banks cannot continue facilitating loans into the economy, then that isn't good. We have already seen many economic reports which shows that the economy is in fact slowing down. We have seen many manufacturing reports, PMI reports, CPI reports, right? And when inflation goes down, that's a signal that economic activity is coming down along with it. The only place we actually haven't seen that there may be a recession coming is in the employment data. Although there are some early signs that the employment data may start to weaken, we cannot say that we have really seen a dramatic change in the unemployment report, especially according to last Friday's print of 3.5% employment as of the time of this recording. So that's the bearish case. And this is actually very, very consistent with the financial crisis of 2007, because when banks were hit hard and banks stopped maintaining the liquidity levels that they had before 2007, they stopped lending. And this is what took the American economy a very, very long time to get out of this glut of slow economic growth. So that's the bearish case. That's not good for the economy. And if deposits don't start streaming back into banks, banks are going to have a hard time lending out money or rationalizing, expanding their loan book to consumers. So what is the bullish case? In order to understand the bullish case, we have to go back to the last Federal Reserve press conference. And we have to remember something that Jerome Powell said. Jerome Powell said that whether he expects or does not expect the FOMC will increase the Fed federal fund rate, he did say that tighter financial conditions 
can replace hiking. And this is very, very important to understand because if he says that, then that's a very, very big hint that the Federal Reserve will stop increasing their interest rates. As a matter of fact, the Federal Reserve is hinting that they see that this liquidity crisis from the banks may cause a recession on its own, which means that the hiking of interest rates is no longer necessary to bring down inflation. Because remember, how does inflation happen? Inflation happens whenever the economy runs too hot. So if the economy is running too hot, one way to bring down the inflation is to slow economic growth. And if the banking crisis or the banking liquidity crisis, to be more exact, is doing that on its own, then interest rate hiking is no longer required. Now, this potentially can be interpreted as excellent news for equities because we know that equities and their valuations react negatively to hiking interest rates for two reasons. First of all, an increase in interest rates increases companies' borrowing costs, so their profitability will suffer. On top of that, valuations of stocks are dependent on the interest rate environment of where their dividends or future values will come in. So if I invest in a company and I believe that they will pay me a dividend in the future, if the interest rate of that same period is high, then in present value, that dividend will suffer. So if I expect lower interest rates in the future, possibly and potentially due to the Federal Reserve stopping to hike rates or even lowering rates because of their anticipation of what the liquidity crisis will do to the economy, then I can make the argument that from a valuation perspective, stocks would actually increase. As a matter of fact, if we look at a tool called the Fed Rate Monitor, which is available for free on investing.com, you can see actually expectations of where the market thinks that the Fed rate will be in the future. And actually, some markets are expecting the Federal Reserve to start cutting rates towards the end of the year. Again, from a valuation perspective, this will benefit stock. Now, the big question is, which side is correct? Is the bearish side correct or the bullish side correct? Unfortunately, I don't have the answer for you, but it's very, very important to be aware of all of these components, variables, and implications of what to expect next as per this big outflow, because this amount of money coming out of banks and going into money market funds is unprecedented. And we need to assume a tougher time ahead for banks. Now, another way to illustrate the dichotomy between the bearish and the bullish case for stock markets is to understand the dual component behind the valuation model behind stocks. In a previous episode, actually, we discussed how stocks are evaluated. Stocks are evaluated as a function of two components. The first component is the future dividends or what I will get in in terms of cash for my investment in a specific stock. And the second component is the interest rate environment, which will prevail in that environment of when I will get those dividends. So for example, if I'll get a dividend in the future, a dollar, two dollars, obviously, the more dividend I will get, the higher the value of the stock. So that component of the valuation model represents how much money the actual stock or the company behind the stock will make. And another component, which will manifest how much I will pay today is my opportunity cost or my interest rate, my risk free interest rate that I can make if I were not to invest in the stock. The bearish side of the argument is saying that companies will not do well in the future. They will underperform due to this liquidity crisis that is going on right now in banks. That's like saying I will receive less dividends from the companies of which I invest in. The bullish side is saying that since economic activity will most probably go down on its own, interest rates will go down because the job will be done by the banking liquidity crisis. Therefore, if interest rates go down, then my valuation in present value will go up, assuming that my dividends in the future will not be affected. So there's really two ways you can think about what's about to happen in the environment 
environment in which stocks are prevailing right now. So at a time like this of great confusion where we can't really make a decision on whether the market will go up or down in the near or far future, sometimes it might help to look at other markets and see what they're doing in order to go ahead and make our final decision on whether to consider where the markets will go. So let's take a look at the bond and gold market and see perhaps if we can get some hints on what to do next. Let's get into it. So if you look up gold price right now, you will actually be surprised or not surprised if you follow it often to see that it's past the 2000 level, which means it broke very, very, very significant resistance level. Resistance level is a fancy word for a level that it hasn't passed for a very, very long time. Now, while that doesn't really mean much, it signals that people are flying to safety, which means they're fleeing to safety. They're putting money into safe assets because they are confused or they don't know, don't know what to expect in the future. Now, gold is correlated with all kinds of other economic and financial factors and variables in the market. So let's take a look at the bond market. If you realize every single time that bad news is announced around this banking drama, bonds go up in value. Why? Because bonds, specifically treasuries, represent safety in financial markets. And when you get good news from this banking drama, you'll see that bonds actually go down. And I want to focus a little bit on that market behavior in order for everyone here to understand what these assets represent in the financial market arena. If you go back to the day that Credit Suisse was announced to have been acquired by UBS, which technically is considered good news for the financial market, you will see that bonds go down. Why do bonds or why did bonds go down at that time? Because people that invested in bonds to fly to safety now saw a relief of safety from the general risk of owning banking stocks. So they dumped their bond position. That's the inflow and outflow of bonds. So usually you will see that bonds get picked up by investors, institutional and retail, whenever they want safer assets. I will say here, just a small disclaimer, these are general trends in the market. I'm not a professional financial advisor. Please do not invest in stocks, bonds, or commodities based solely on what I say. These are simple trends that I pick up just by looking at free charts available online on investing.com and forums and investing tips that I read online and through the education that I've accumulated myself. But I'm not a professional, please do not invest solely based on what I say over here. Small disclaimer before I continue. But how does that help us understand what's going on in the world and how we should make our investing decisions going forward? The reason why I brought up the bond and commodity market is not to make an allegation of what's going to happen in the equity market as per what's happening in the commodity and bond market. What I'm trying to say here is that it is important to consider things that are happening in other markets other than the market that you might be invested in. If you are invested in the equity market, you might also want to see how other markets are behaving in order to make a decision on your investments. And I'll give you an example. According to history, over 80% of inverted yield curves have preceded a recession. Quick reminder, an inverted yield curve is when interest rates on the treasury yield curve are higher on the shorter end than the longer end, which is not normal. It's considered that you should have a higher interest rate that you will get paid if you invest in a bond of a longer date of maturity. Whenever you have an inverted yield curve, 
you should interpret that as the market signaling to you that there is more uncertainty priced into the short term than the long term. Now, history, as it shows, before every recession, the inverted yield curve uninverts before a recession is about to hit. Why is that important? Because if you are testing some sort of thesis that there is a recession coming, it's a very popular kind of thesis going around today. But if you're testing that, then you should have other signals coming from different reports or different market settings or market events that should coincide with your thesis. You should never make a decision on what to invest or not invest solely based on what's happening on one market. You have to look around and see what's happening in different markets in order to verify or deny your thesis. Kind of like a research project. But on the same note, while history may be a comfortable and available resource to reference to in order to make future decisions, you should always remember that history does not always predict what will happen in the future. We are in different times, for example, now, than we were in 2007. The financial crisis of 2007 and the banking liquidity crisis of 2023 are not of the same consequences, are not of the same effects, and might not have the same results. I will finish off with saying that in such a troubling time in financial markets, in such a confusing time on what to do, what not to do, what to look out for, which thesis to follow, whether to be a bull or a bear, I think that the best advice that I can give all investors listening right now is to come up with their own thesis and rationalize why they think what will happen is going to happen. Because at least if you were wrong, you will know that it was because of the ideas that you came up with and not because you followed somebody. So this is just some psychological advice that I like to give. And with that, guys, I will thank you. Again, remember, do not invest solely based on what you hear on this episode or on this podcast. This podcast is simply an educational forum to provide you with tools to make better investing decisions. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a professional, so please do your research, do your homework, and I will see you guys on the next one.